0: Let's hear the word of God. Uh, turn with me tonight to uh, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I just want to thank you for coming tonight. I appreciate your support. And let's hear the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 24. And we're in verse 36. Luke 24, if you found a place, verse 36. And as they thus speak, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish, and of an honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scripture. And said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behoved Christ to suffer, And to rise from the dead the third day, And that repentance and remission of sins Should be preached in his name among all nations, Beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God Amen. Amen. We trust and pray that God will stamp his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Luke chapter 24, verses 40 to 43. And my theme tonight is entitled, Dead Men Don't Eat Fish. You'll see in verse 42, And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And this title I have borrowed uh, from the um, uh, works of uh, Dr. Um, Peter Masters, who wrote a book on the resurrection, uh, and this was one of the titles of the chapter, Dead Men Don't Eat Fish. So I borrowed it tonight, so I'm making that a confession. Now here in Luke 24, verses 36 to 43, Dr. Luke is emphasising and highlighting one of the physical evidences for the real, literal, tangible, bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's important that you recognise that. Immediately after the two very sad disciples from Emmaus recognised who the Lord Jesus was in the breaking of bread, And his very sudden disappearance from the table, they rushed back to Jerusalem. Even though it was the dead of night, probably about 11pm, they rushed back to tell his disciples the good news. Now when they got there, they discovered that the 11 disciples were in a locked room. For fear of the Jews, and you can picture the two from a mess getting back to Jerusalem late at night, knocking on the door. Maybe there was a secret password. Uh, Maybe there was a a coded knock uh, as they uh, approached the door. And as they entered the room, they found the eleven disciples there, uh, and there was others with them. And they were saying something amazing. This is what they were saying: "The Lord is risen indeed." And hath appeared unto Simon. Now, that was before they ever uttered a word. And the best that these two from a mess could do was to confirm this testimony by adding their own testimony to the same truth that Jesus Christ was really risen from the dead. And they, of course, believed it. Now, I want to ask the question. Whenever it says the Lord is risen indeed and appeared unto Simon, what did that really mean to them? Jesus Christ is alive. Wonderful. Glory. Hallelujah. That, that's a great truth, isn't it? That, that's wonderful news. But what does it really mean? And I wonder if their minds were thinking of a spiritual appearance, of a, a, a metaphorical appearance. You see, for many this Easter They know, well, it's not just about the Easter bunny. And they know it's not just about the chocolate Easter eggs or going on an Easter egg hunt. No, there's much more to that. What does Easter mean? Well, it represents life after death. That's good. It represents hope in a hopeless situation. It represents the springtime after the winter. It represents a new beginning after a time of darkness or doubt or uncertainty. And while all that is good, these individuals, many of them, some of them even in the church, some clergymen included, never think of the resurrection in terms of a real, historical, physical, bodily, tangible resurrection. Now, I'm not sure what was in the minds of the disciples that night as they heard the word, the Lord is risen indeed. But I want to tell you this, that if they were spiritualizing the doctrine of the resurrection, then they were losing the message of the gospel. You see, once you spiritualize the doctrine of the resurrection, you're really corrupting the gospel. You're creating another gospel. So we come back to that fundamental question. What does it mean when they were saying the Lord is risen indeed and have appeared unto Simon? You see, many today explain away the doctrine of the resurrection in terms of a spiritual thing. They, they want to spiritualize the message. They do not accept and refuse to believe in a literal, historical, bodily, physical resurrection of Christ from the dead. Look with me at verse 36. And as they thus spake, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your heart? See, here's their reaction. Notice their initial response. Jesus stands in the midst and speaks a message, peace be unto you, and there's total devastation. There's there's blatant unbelief. 37 tells us they were terrified and frightened, supposing that they'd seen a, a ghost or a spirit. Verse 38 says that they were troubled and, and there were doubting thoughts had arisen in your mind. Now, now think of this. You see, when the Lord Jesus appeared in the room that night and stood before them and spake, it was clear that their belief in his resurrection, what they were hearing, the Lord is risen indeed, was insufficient. We would really say in colloquial terms in Northern Ireland, it was up the left. It it was deformed. They, They were not overjoyed. They were upset. They were frightened. They were caught off guard. It's as if they never expected to see the Lord Jesus bodily. And you see, it was easier for them to believe in a ghostly Jesus and spiritualize the message rather than believed in a glorified godly Jesus, the reality is that they didn't really believe in the real historical bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead. The issue was one of faith. Was it real faith or was it what we would call a rotten kind of faith, a, a, a wrong kind of faith. They, their faith at that moment was insufficient. It was defective. But they believed, at least professing to believe, the Lord has risen indeed. That's what they said to the two in the road to Emmaus as they come through the door and appeared on the sign. But they didn't really know what they meant by that. And they didn't really believe. And is the same today in this Easter period, when we're asking for the real Easter story to be heard. How many, even in the church, that their faith is insufficient. It's a defective kind of faith. Why? Because they spiritualize the message of the resurrection. Oh yes, Jesus is alive. Alive in spirit. That's good. Yes, Jesus is alive. He's alive in our hearts. But he's not viewed as physically tangibly, bodily, historically, really risen from the dead. And therefore, the thrust of Dr. Luke's argument in Luke 24, verses 36 to 43, is to provide ample evidence for his physical, bodily resurrection. I want you to notice Christ spoke to them a message of peace. He talked to them. He had a message for them. Christ then showed them his hands and his feet. That was a reference to his wounds. He wanted them to touch him, handle and see that his eye. And then he offered a, a third kind of physical evidence, as if he dropped a, a bombshell. He asked them, have you here any meat? And they gave him, as the Bible says, broiled fish and a piece of honeycomb. And what are we told in verse 33, 43? And he took it and did eat before them. He talked to them. He told them to handle and see it as I. And then he just went the third mile and proved by this act of eating the boiled fish and the honeycomb that he was really, truly, bodily alive. Now, think with me three things this evening. Dead men don't eat fish. That was the title of Dr. Master's article. And it was a tremendous encouragement. Think with me, first of all, that this was a common meal. You see, in the land of Israel in the first century, on this very first evening of Christ's resurrection, he asked his disciples, have ye any meat? According to the Bible, they gave him broiled fish, And in honeycomb, I put it to you tonight, that's the food of the working class. That's the food of the the poor, the common people in the land of Israel. Broiled fish and honeycomb was a very common meal. It's probably as common as fish and chips. If we were to ask what's the most popular uh, food in Northern Ireland, you, you would probably say... Fish and chips. Maybe maybe Chinese would get a run in, I'm not sure, but I would go for fish and chips. Or, or maybe as common as uh, bangers and mash. Or maybe my favourite, which is very easy to make, beans and toast. And what are we told about Christ? And he took it. Can you, can you see him taking it from their hands? And says, and did eat before them. He not only ate before them, But he ate with them. And I see here a picture of Christ's humility. I see here something of the tenderness and the love and the care and the mercy of the Lord Jesus shining through in this simple act of taking and eating this common meal. I want to tell you tonight the Lord Jesus loved the common people. The Lord Jesus made a lot of the common people in the first century in Jerusalem. He loved to enter the homes of the working class. He ministered to lots of common people in his day and generation. Over there in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul could write to the Corinthian church and he said this in chapter 1. For ye see your calling, brethren, That's God's call to the sinner to come in repentance and faith and receive Christ. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. There are some wise men, there are some mighty men, there there are some noble men, but not many. Not the multitude. Verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. See, even here tonight, the Lord Jesus comes to fellowship with us, his people. Now, now think with me for a moment. Here's these disciples, and in this room, the door's locked for fear of the Jews. They're thinking... They've crucified our leader. Who's next in the list? We could be caught any moment by the Jewish authorities. We could be indeed be rounded up. It's not safe to be out. So, so the door was locked, as the Bible says, for fear of the Jews. As I said, was there a special knock? Was there a password when, when some of the disciples came to where the eleven and others were? But the locked door was no obstacle to the risen Christ. He just walked right through. He just appeared suddenly. you imagine if the Lord Jesus bodily appeared suddenly amongst us tonight? Out of nowhere just stood in the midst and spoke to us. It's as if he teleported through the wall or through the door. Not a ghost. Because ghosts don't eat fish and honeycomb. Not a spirit, not not, not an angel. But the crucified risen saviour in a real, historical, literal, tangible body. And you know what today? Over there in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, we hear the words, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him. And will sup with him. And he with me. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord Jesus would even knock on our heart's door? That Wonderful that he would speak to us who are sinners in his sight. Who would give us the invitation to, to come and have fellowship with him. And give us the assurance that if we open the door to him, our heart's door, and invite Christ into our life. Then he says, I will come in to him. See, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And if he comes in, he says, and will sup with him, and he with me. I wonder, is your heart this Easter Sunday evening filled with joy and gladness at the very thought, Christ identifies himself with me. Christ has a heart of love. Christ has grace and mercy, even for the likes of me who would be just amongst the common people. Christ has called me to himself. Are you, have you heard his voice? Have you known the nail-pierced hand knocking in your heart's door, calling you to open the door, calling you to repentance and faith? You see, this was a common meal. And the Lord Jesus wants to have a spiritual meal with you tonight. Notice, secondly and quickly, it was not only a common meal, but it was a convincing meal. You see, in this real bodily appearance of Christ, he did three things. First of all, he spake, it says in verse 40, and when he had thus spoken. So we'll pause there. When did he speak? If we go back to verse 36, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. When did he speak to them? When they were terrified. When they were frightened. When they were anxious. When they were at wit's end. Not knowing where to turn thinking of the world that was crashing in around them, their world falling apart. When has he often come? Isn't it the testimony of many Christians when they felt themselves at wit's End Corner with their back to the wall? Isn't that what the psalmist talked about in Psalm uh, 107 and verse 27? They reeled to and fro and staggered like a drunken man and are at their wits' end. I remember hearing uh, of Pastor, the late Pastor Willie Mullen preaching of Wits' End Corner. You may have heard that sermon. It's a tremendous sermon. I'm not sure if it's on the internet, but I, I encourage you to, to go and listen to it. Isn't it wonderful that even at wetsand End Corner, when we're terrified and frightened because of circumstances, just at that moment the Lord can come and has a message for us, just at the very right time. Doesn't the Bible say... The eternal god is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms doesn't the psalmist say in psalm 46 verse 1 god is our refuge and strength a very present help and trouble doesn't it say in the uh, sixth verse and god shall help her and that right early nahum the prophet said the lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble and know of them that trusteth in him maybe you're here and you're cast down and you're weary you ready to quit. You want to run and hide because of circumstances or a situation and you need a message from the Lord. Well, the Lord can speak to you tonight. Notice what he says. If you go back to the verse 36, it says, Peace be unto you. This word, peace be unto you, it's not just a greeting. It's not just saying hello. The the word is full of meaning. In Hebrew, of course, the word peace is shalom. And if a Jew uh, says to another Jew, or even a Jew says to a Gentile, a uh, Shalom, um, or uh, as they would say, uh, Shalom Shabbat, which is peace in the Sabbath. Uh, what they're really saying is, be safe. Be certain. Be joyful. I remember having a little book in my hand many years ago called Safety, Certainty and Enjoyment. And, and, and at the heart, Meaning of the word peace, that's what it means. Safety, certainty and enjoyment. Peace is not just the absence of war and conflict. And of course there's war in the world. uh, And we realise that there's conflict in many places. Uh, People have conflict in their homes because of circumstances. Maybe husbands at war with their wives. uh, Individuals at war with family members. Over a variety of different things. And what do they need? They need Christ to come into the midst and speak. And here's what he says. Peace be unto you. Peace with God. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the very same message that he would preach to us today. The message that he preached to them was the message that he preached to us. Maybe you're here, the story. Tonight, uh, and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You you don't claim to be a Christian, you've never experienced a new birth, you've never bowed the knee and confessed that you're a sinner. You don't know peace with God. You're, you're, you're troubled and you, you're full of guilt because of uh, sin and iniquity. I, I want to tell you, you can have peace with God right now. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we can know the peace of God. <clears throat> Philippians 4, verses 7 and 8 uh, says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep their hearts and minds through faith which is in Christ Jesus. As I the prophet said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed in thee because he trusteth in thee. Think of this. When your world's falling apart, and you're at wit's end, and the peace of God comes, And fills your heart and mind to such an extent that you have got tranquility. You have inner joy and contentment even in the face of trouble. And you can leave it all with the Lord. That's the peace of God. That's what he said. Did you ever think of why he said it? He said it because that's exactly what they needed to hear. The Lord always comes at the right time with the right word. His message is always tailor-made to suit our need, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But I believe he, he, he spoke this out of love, out of concern, out of care for his own. This was exactly what they needed. So he comes at that time, he did something else. He not only spoke to them, but, but he showed them. It says in verse 39, Behold my hands and my feet, that as I myself and handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now what does that mean? It means he showed them his wounds. See, in his hands and feet, he, he bore the marks of the nails. And there was proof. That it was the same Jesus that was crucified that is now physically, historically, literally alive again. I was dead. I was crucified in the tree. And now I'm alive. I'm I'm the great helper of the helpless. I'm the hope of the hopeless. The Lord Jesus has real flesh and bones. The Lord Jesus can be touched and felt. It's the same body. It's the same wounds. They're they're visible to the eye. They're they're sensitive to the touch. See, what's he saying? He's saying, look, guys, the body that I was crucified in, the the body that you've seen hang on the tree, it's this very same body. And I'm alive now. I'm real. I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. I'm not an impersonal representation. I, I, I I'm not um, a, 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 a pretend Jesus. It was the real wounded saviour, with his real body. Look at verse forty-one. That says, "And while they yet believe not for joy." Isn't that interesting? They can hardly believe it. They, 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 they. they they, they were almost in a dreamy state. Could it really be him? Could it really be But we've seen him crucified. And because of what he said and because of what he showed, then we'll go back to this. He supped with them. He, here's the part of the convincing of the male. He asked them, have you anything to eat? This is the first reference to Christ eating with them. And they gave him broiled fish and a an honeycomb. And that's truly amazing. Now, this broiled fish, I believe, there's another name for it called St Peter's fish. And when we were in the Sea of Tiberias, um, Rosie and I and went over to the boat to the other side. Uh, we, we had lovely St Peter's fish. Now, not everybody likes it. It's an acquired taste. But I want to tell you, I really enjoyed mine. And so did she. And we didn't have any honeycomb, but we did have some bread. And it says broiled fish. Not not roasted. Not fried. Here's the true account. It's broiled fish. You see, the thing that amazed me was the attention to detail. This is not a myth. This is not a made-up story. Luke is recording facts. He's recording Every detail, it wasn't just to give him a piece of fish. it was broiled fish. And as I've said, it probably was St. Peter's fish from the Sea of Tiberias. In other words, Dr. Luke was not making it up. They couldn't say, "Well, he must be hallucinating. He must be dreaming. This couldn't be the real Jesus that was wounded on the cross. We've we seen him kneel there. We've seen him die. We've we seen his body put into the tomb. It couldn't be the real Jesus. But here he is. And what's he doing, boys and girls? He's eating the broiled fish and the honeycomb. And no doubt drinking some liquid as well. He eats in front of them. He dines with them. He, he in fact, invites us in John 21 with the words, Come and dine. You see, he lives to enjoy fellowship with his people. There are some that talk about the swoon theory in the the tomb. Some talk about the wrong tomb theory. I don't care what theories philosophers or even theologians come up with. I want the biblical evidence. And if you read on in this chapter, and I haven't time to explain it, I better wrap this up. Not only with this physical evidence. He spoke, he showed, he supped. But there's biblical evidence. And here it is in front of you. Verses 44 and verses 45 and 46. And there's the biblical evidence. Uh, What did the law of Moses teach? What did the prophets teach? What did the Psalms teach concerning me? It says, And he said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behoves Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And when it says rise from the dead, it's a real historical bodily resurrection. Notice one final thing. This was a calculating <coughs> meal. And I finish with this thought. Did you ever think of why did Jesus eat the broiled fish and the honeycomb? And that's important that I ask that. Because I believe this was a common meal. I, I, I believe, of course, it was a compelling meal that there was physical evidence being set out here, but it was also a calculating meal. They were being asked this message. Do you believe in the bodily resurrection from the dead? You see, the Lord Jesus raised in a visible, tangible, real, historical, literal body. He's only the first fruits of the people of God. And his resurrection, visible, tangible, real, historical, guarantees the resurrection of everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus. We're thankful tonight in the knowledge that those that die in Christ, blessed are the dead, which die in the Lord, their soul immediately leaves the body and goes into the Lord's presence. Uh, And there's joy and happiness over in the family because they're thinking, uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And where's the body of the loved one? It's put into the grave. But I want to tell you, that's not the end of your loved one's body. Because one day at the resurrection, at the first resurrection, the body of all who have died in Christ is going to be raised up and a new glorious body like unto Christ's own resurrection body. And his bodily resurrection guarantees our resurrection. If you're in Christ tonight, you're saved, you're on the road to heaven, do you know that one day you're going to have a resurrection body like the Lord Jesus? Did you know that? See, by God's power, He's able to change these vile bodies into glorious bodies like the body of Christ. When the disciples get to heaven, Revelation 7 and 17, they're going to discover that the lamb in the midst shall feed them. They're feeding Christ. and He's invites us come and dine with him. And when we all get to heaven, Christ is going to feed his people. And that's a wonderful picture. Because we'll have resurrection bodies like his. You see it was calculating. And I ask this again. Do you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? If you spiritualize it. You corrupt and destroy the gospel. But we have accepted as real and true. Then his resurrection guarantees our resurrection i commend this message to you thanks for coming thanks for listening i appreciate your support this evening and i trust that these things have maybe been helpful and enlightening i haven't time to open up the scriptures and prove that third point but i trust that you'll research it out for yourself there's 40 references to the resurrection and some of them's in corinthians and if you read those passages Especially in 1 Corinthians 15, you'll get some light and insight into what I was saying.